I mentioned when we started the book, the first seven chapters focus on Samuel, the events surrounding his birth into the world, the events surrounding his rise as a prophet, as a judge, to conclude that time known as the book of Judges, the time of Judges between 1500 to about 10,050 BC, that time. And then this book, Samuel, starts around 1100 BC to about 1000 BC. And it takes us from the time of the Judges to the time of the Kings, which goes on for like three, 400 years with Israel. And as we come out of the Judges, we see that Samuel was that last judge and also a prophet. And he's the bridge. He's the link between the time of Judges and the time of Kings. So tonight, the book shifts. And though Samuel's still involved in the book, it really shifts to Saul becoming the first king of Israel. And that's the background overall to the text tonight. And we'll be picking up in chapter 8, verse 1. So we have a new, we have a great reset in Israel. We have a whole new order for the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which I have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And so here now, Israel cries out for a king. They were led by Moses in the wilderness for 40 years as a nation, given the law of God at Mount Sinai, through the wilderness wandering, led by Joshua into the promised land. They're in the promised land for, again, like 400 years, different judges like Othniel and Gideon and Samson and others. And they were always meant to be under theocracy, under God. They are always meant to depend upon the Lord. They had Shiloh, they had the tabernacle, but they really were to be a people who were governed and subject to the reign of God. Now, they're, they're people of covenant. God made a covenant with them. Again, we talked about this Saturday, but they were individuals in a covenant, families in a covenant, tribes in a covenant, and a nation in a covenant, an ethnic people group in a covenant, although other ethnicities were invited to be a part of that covenant, which we saw going through the law, to, to know Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. As we look at this text tonight, we have to think, okay, well, Israel exists as a nation, we know that, and that has great prophetic implications for the return of Christ, which certainly seems relevant at this point in time and at the very door. But as we look at this text tonight and the passages we're going to look at tonight, they deal with men wanting a king. Men, people, wanting a king they can see. That's why world religions are popular, because you get these dynamic leaders. That's why the city-state churches of the Reformation area were popular, because you had kings who ruled over the church, 
People want to serve a powerful human being that protects them, provides for them, and tells them what to do. This is human nature. Because you say, how can people follow someone like that? Well, human beings always follow human beings. And human beings are like little gods. We're created in the image of God. We have great capacity that's a, a remnant of our fallen father Abraham, excuse me, our father Adam and mother Eve. They were superhumans, of course, without sin. Incredible, creating God's image. So, of course, human beings can be incredible dynamic leaders to lead other human beings for good or for evil. Kings existed before this time. They're actually asking for a king just like the surrounding nations. And up until about World War I, kings reigned most of the world on planet Earth. Europe was guided by kings, the Austria-Hungary Empire, the British Empire, the, Pr- the Prussian, then German Empire with the Reichstag, William III, Queen Elizabeth, all the, all the czars, Nicholas and Alexander, the last czar, and Tsarista. Up until World War I, most of the world was ruled by kings. What we've seen in the last hundred years is a very unusual time where two worldviews have greatly influenced planet Earth and its control for planet Earth. Darwinism combined with Marxism, socialism, communism, and all the wings of it, the redistribution of wealth that's already been created, it never creates wealth because it stifles innovation and motivation. And wherever Marxism, communism, and Darwinism have, then they're married together. Wherever they've impacted the Soviet Union, communist China, Pol Pot and the Cambodian regime, the Khmer Rouge, red, Khmer Rouge, French Rouge, wherever these philosophies, including Angola and Africa back in the 80s, the African War, It's a philosophy of redistribution of wealth, always guided by a totalitarian authoritarian leader who really is like a king, like Stalin. Lenin really wasn't like that, but Stalin certainly was, as was Pol Pot and others. Then at the same time, we've seen the preeminence and the appeal of democracy to the world, that somehow the majority of people will govern themselves properly. Because of the miracle of America and our founding fathers and the Constitution and the framework of that Constitution, we benefited from that. But it's a God-based Constitution. All men are created equal. The idea that there's creation, accountability to God. So over the last hundred years, democracy and communism in its various forms, atheistic, anti-Christ, and not really biblical either, democracy, but in our country biblically based because of the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. These two views have fought for control of the world, right? You understand that. We grew up during the Cold War. My dad was going to get nuked in Cuba. He was on a ship going to the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the last briefing he had before it was, the crisis was averted is he sat in a debriefing meeting where they told my dad he was going to take the beach with 10,000 Marines and be the first group that was going to be struck by a tactical nuke from the Russians there on Cuba. He told my mom before leaving 29 Palms, he gave her a gun, showed her how to use it, and said if there's a nuclear strike in Los Angeles, this, they're going to come out this way, stay on base, it's the safest place to be. These are stories my parents told me before they stepped into eternity, or before they can't remember anymore, which is the case with my dad at 92. So these two worldviews are ones that have affected 
baby boomers and Gen X and millennials and now the Z. We understand like, the Z wants global socialism and the baby boomers are realizing like, are saying, like that's a really bad idea. And baby boomers on their way out and Z is on the, on the rise. This is our world. And they essentially only see two worldviews. But alas, we're going to end up with kings. One king to rule them all. Kings of the east, the kings of Magog in the north, Russia, and the Antichrist, who's the greatest human king of all time. And that's what this planet's moving toward. Men want rulers they can see and bow down to. And it's amazing how humans will bow down and subjugate themselves to evil, authoritarian, totalitarian rulers if they know they're going to have a piece of bread and be protected. And that's exactly what the end game is in the Bible. Everyone gets a piece of bread by the Antichrist, and they're protected by the Antichrist. So nothing going on in our world right now should surprise us or shock us, because even as we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, human beings want a king that they can look at. It takes faith to let Jesus Christ be my king and your king. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. So when we have a biblical Christian worldview and Christ is enthroned in our heart, and we have a hard time understanding why people are so quick to follow earthly kings and queens who are evil or appear good in either case, but prone to go after something tangible, physical, they can lay hold of, that's easy to do. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. So when we give our life to Christ, it's an act of faith. When we give our life to Christ, we're asking to become king, let the king of my heart rule over me. We're asking Christ to be king of our life. And thus, the Bible rightly says, when we give our life to Christ, we become citizens of heaven. We don't have national passports so much, although we do. But you can always fake passports, just like vaccine passports. You can fake that stuff. It's not that hard to do. You can print counterfeiters, print dollar bills and fake those too. But what's not fake is the moment we're born again in faith in Jesus Christ. When we pass from death to life and we're a new creation. That's very real. And the Spirit confirms our citizenship. So even as people would swear in as citizens of a country and be sworn in, the moment we give our life to Christ, we become citizens of heaven, the Bible tells us. And our citizenship and our citizenship is in heaven, and Christ is our King. And He's on His throne in heaven. And he's over all things, and he's watching the affairs of men. He raises up kings, and he brings down kings, good ones and bad ones. But in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 2, in the end game, he's the mountain that crushes all the earthly kings and establishes his kingdom. And that, too, is where planet Earth is headed toward. Of course, it's headed toward Jesus Christ coming and splitting the Mount of Olives and ending the war of the worlds to establish his kingdom of righteousness on Earth. The Dead Sea won't be dead anymore. And the horses have little bells that say holiness to the Lord on them in Jerusalem. That's where everything's moving. As Pastor Chuck used to say, he's not looking for the Antichrist. He's looking for the return of Christ. And that's a good worldview to have. If our faith is strong in Jesus, we let him govern our mind and our heart and our life. I talked about this Saturday night that when we come to Christ, we have the mind of Christ. And we have the mind of the Spirit. They're both terms are used in the New Testament 
that our thoughts are guided by the Lord and they're shaped by his word. Blessed is the man or woman who meditates on his law day and night. He'll be like the, the, the plant by the water and they bring forth fruit in their due season. That's who we are in Christ. When Jesus called men and women to follow himself, he called them to follow him as their king. And there they saw him on the cross and it said king of the Jews in three languages. But if there's any confusion over who the king of the Jews is in Revelation, we're told he's the king of kings. And you go back to Psalm 2, prophesying of the end game. It says, why do the kings of the world rage and plot a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed? You should pay homage to the king while you can through faith in time, space, and matter. Because we're also told in Romans that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either in time or in eternity. In other words, everyone bows to the king. Everyone bows to the king. So here, as the people of Israel, contextually, they just, they want what human beings want. They want a ruler they can see, who's dynamic, who's charismatic, who can woo you in the debates and make other people look foolish in the debates, can appear smart and witty and all those kind of things, preferably handsome and good-looking or beautiful and good-looking. That's preferable. And sure, let them rule. And let's exalt those rulers and let's worship those rulers, which is what man does for 6,000 years since the dawn of creation. It is a young earth. Don't be confused to think otherwise. This is what human beings do. But here's the thing contextually for us tonight as a church of Jesus Christ on March 1st, 2022. Our king is Jesus. And we don't want to make the mistake they made of wanting to follow men and women that we can see with our eyes and We can respect those and we can be led by wonderful people like that who love the Lord, who look out for our souls, as it says about the leaders in the church in the pastoral epistles and Hebrews. But if we're looking to kings that we can see, men, women of power, and they might just be kings of our relationship, we're going to be disappointed. But if we keep Christ as king of our hearts, We will never be disappointed, nor will we be moved because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So it's really important in all generations that the church has Jesus enthroned in our heart as a cornerstone of everything in our life. We are the people of covenant, the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why Pastor Chuck would say he's not looking for the Antichrist, an earthly king. He's looking for Jesus Christ, the king who's already enthroned on his heart. And he's with that king, and we will be too, soon enough. It makes God sad in this text when people of covenant look to kings of the earth. You saw that in the text. They're just doing to you what they did to me. So if we want to bring joy to the Lord and do those things that please the Lord, it's just a reminder to us as the people of covenant that we truly are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in all things at all times, and that he really is king of our thoughts, king of our heart, king of our attitude, and king of our whole being. Because there is a wide path that leads to destruction, and you go thereby, and they follow the kings of the earth. But the narrow gate that leads to life are people like you and I tonight who look unto Jesus and follow Jesus. And not only are we citizens of heaven, of course, but we're told we're ambassadors of Christ. And as you watch all the diplomacy unfolding in our world right now, all these ambassadors representing their countries and representing these things and new these things, listen, 
Our life is so simple. Christ is king. We're his citizens. And we're his ambassadors. We're salt and light. Our playbook never changes no matter what is going on in the world around us. It never changes. We're saved. We serve. And we're called to shine. But... I do fear that a lot of people on planet Earth right now who confess Christ as Lord are looking to earthly kings. Our hope is in heaven, always. Because a dangerous thing happens when the people of covenant give up their relationship with God through faith as king and somehow shift that allegiance, that devotion to someone else being number one in their life instead of Christ... They go from blessings to curses. And they go from assurance to anxiety. You know, the Bible tells us in the last days that men's hearts will fail them for perplexity of nations. Really. But blessed is the man or woman whose God is the Lord. And he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. See, it's always choices. Faith or unbelief, God or man, truth or falsehood, light or darkness, righteousness or evil. We can never go wrong when Christ is ruling over every aspect of our life. Verse 10 reads on, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen and some will run before his chariots. In other words, his cabinet and his armies and his military advisors. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. That's industry. He will take your daughters and be perfumers to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. That's a bit degrading. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. Redistribution. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, of your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. That's taxes. And he will take your male servants and your female servants and your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. Government civil workers and military conscription. He will take a tenth of your sheep. That's your wealth. And you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because your king whom you've chosen for yourself And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Any people who surrender their faith and confidence in the Lord, be it personally, a family, people covenant, or even a nation, they get what they deserve. You know, the German people were really strong in the Lord in the early 30s. There was a lot of Germans that loved Jesus, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There was a very strong evangelical church in Germany in the early 30s. There was, of course, a very liberal one, too, Influenced by Darwin and Marx and socialism, communism, those philosophies. They, they, they gave themselves a new Jesus, just like progressives do in America. All these people deny Christ and his cross and his blood and his atonement and his narrow gate. They did the same thing. But there was a lot of really strong Christians that believed the gospel and believed the word of God in Germany in the early 30s. But as a capitulated convictions with what happened to the Jews and everyone else after that. And as they got dragged into a war that destroyed their nation that they still haven't recovered from, 
they forsook their convictions of faith in the Lord and Christ as their king. And the German church, what's left of it, is weak and impotent. And the great leaders like Dietrich Bonhoeffer were hung by the Nazis, like the SS who hung him. But he died in faith, and his legacy lives on. And his words are far more powerful to the benefit of the human race than anything Hitler ever said in Mein Kampf, my struggle, Mein Kampf. And the German people had an election ripped off from them. That's how Hitler came to power, on a minority. He seized power, took away rights, and began to blame people for the problems in Germany. And freedoms were eroded, and the choices were eroded, and it took less than 10 years to have death camps in Poland and other parts of Europe. They were once a Christian nation. In fact, we all know the Reformation truly began in Germany with Luther's conviction and his thesis on the church door at Wittenberg. Only faith, only the word, only worship. So I can't take responsibility for what anyone else is going to do in Jesus' name in the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth in 2022, but I can certainly accept responsibility for what my role is here and the legacy of Calvary Chapel and our role as a local church. We have to be men and women of firm character and conviction with Christ as our king in our personal lives, in our thoughts, in our decision-making, whatever it costs us. Whatever it costs us. Because life is so short anyways. The heroes in the book of Revelation, you know who the heroes are in the book of Revelation? The martyrs before the throne. The kings, they take, and they take, and they take, and they take. But by the time God's people cry out, who've capitulated truth to kings and surrendered the church to kings, because that's what happens, you know. Before Hitler did all that with the German people, he apostatized the Lutheran church. So hundreds of years of evangelical Bible-believing preaching from the Lutheran church was capitulated, surrendered by the German church leaders to go along with the Nazism and the fascism of Adolf Hitler by 1935, 36, and 37. They surrendered their soul to a nationalistic fervor that blamed innocent people for what was wrong in their society, and they went for it. And the ill-preparedness of the West right now in Europe is a direct result of the fallout of that to this day. The church needs to always look to Jesus as our king, always look to his word as our constitution, always look to his spirit as our power and the promises of his word as our provision. In Jesus' name. And we cannot be moved or swayed from doing what's obviously right at all times from here to eternity. Not by the masses, because broad and wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many go thereby, and narrows the gate that leads to life. 
And as right now the planet's struggling to identify with nationalism and different identities and different ideologies and different groups, these super clusters emerging now, the kings of the east and the, the, the west and all these things, and everyone's spinning things where they want them to be, do not be moved from Christ being your king. He's the living water. He will always be true to us. Kings of the world that we can see always let us down. And in this chapter, they take, 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 they take. Did you see how many times the word take is in the text we just read? They take everything. But we've been reminded by Paul and others that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So you can lock up Bonhoeffer. You can even try and lock up Luther centuries before. You can rip the tongues out of people like the Huguenots and others. You can even put evangelicals on the rack like the Church of Russia did back in the time of the 1800s and 1700s. But in the end, no one can ever take from you your faith in Jesus Christ as king of your life and king of your heart. And they'll bully us and they'll bully you into accepting kings that would supplant Christ. That's the whole battle of the first century of the church. Christ or Caesar. That's the whole battle of the birth of the church. To bow to Caesar or bow to Christ. So in all the uncertainty what we face in a very uncertain world and a very uncertain tomorrow, keep bowing the knee to Christ above all else. Know whom you serve and be persuaded he's able to keep that which you've committed to him until that day. That's who we need to be. Always, but particularly right now. Because the pressure's coming to surrender holy ground. Here, here, and here. And here. For sure it's coming. Christ is king. Beware of the kings of men. Beware of the kings of men. We're, we're told to pray for kings. We're told to honor the king, but do not let any king, be him or her queen, good or evil, by perception of men, supplant the place of Christ as confidence of our heart and who we really serve. You need to know where you stand in Jesus' name on planet Earth in 2022. You need to know it last year, too, and the year before. And we'll need to know it even more in our future. The Church of Jesus Christ, led by the Spirit, I'm sure is going to need incredible men and women in our future who stand up with courage and conviction as citizens of heaven and ambassadors of Christ. And a great legacy has come before us, and a great legacy is in front of us. And I don't know if we're in the beginning of the end game, the middle of the end game, or the end of the end game, but I'll tell you something. As sure as I'm standing here, I'm quite convinced we are in the end game. Because I know my Bible, and I know world events, and it's all right there. Having done all stand, serving our king, that we see by faith, and we serve by faith, and filtering all things by the kings that we see with our eyes by the king of faith. That's what our application is in chapter 9.
So in verse 19, the chapter finishes with this. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we will have a king over us because people love to look at people and follow people that are dynamic. It doesn't require faith. It just requires a free handout. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Since when are people covenant, by the way, in the Old Testament called to be like all nations? Isn't the law and all that God taught them at Mount Sinai about their distinction from all nations? It's always bad when the people of covenant want to be like the people who are not of covenant. Because they're not called to be set apart. They're not called to be consecrated. They're not called to be adopted daughters and sons of the king, Romans 8, by which you say, Abba, Father. The sons of Darwin and Marx can't say that. The sons and daughters of the king can. Their estate is planet Earth going boom, boom. Our estate is glory that's indescribable and incomprehensible for our minds and eyes right now. That's our estate. That's our inheritance. Eyes not seen nor ear heard those things that God's prepared for those who love him. Do you understand? Like, I know what my trust says for my kids, myself, in eternity. None of us on planet Earth have ever known or will know what the trust is in eternity for those who serve Jesus Christ faithfully. But I can tell you what the reward is for those who fight against him and war against him and plot against him and his people. There's a lot about that in the Bible. And Revelation says, the wrath of the Lamb has come and who's able to stand? Outer darkness and gnashing of teeth. That's what it says their reward is. The church does not need the kings of the earth ruling over us any more than Israel did. Jesus reigns over the church. Can never surrender the church. Many of the world denominations have already surrendered the churches to be part of Mystery Babylon, the whore, the harlot, the false world religious system of the end of age. Many of the top religious leaders that represent denominations deny Christ is the only Savior. They deny the blood of Jesus Christ, and they deny the narrow gate, and they deny the authority of the Word of God. They deny creation, gender identification by God's decree, and marriage by God's decree. It is a very bad ending for those traitors. And the pressure is there to make all of us a traitor, just like when the Nazis would roll into the Netherlands and try and get Corrie Tim Boom to betray her Jewish neighbors and the convictions of her heart and her mind before the living God. Do not be a traitor to Jesus. Jesus is our king. Verse 21, And Samuel heard all the words of the people and repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to city. If people want to go to churches that don't teach the Bible and believe Jesus is Lord, that's their business, right? I mean, what do you think Jesus really thinks about the the capitulation of the church in the last 20 years? Seriously. Seriously. What do you think Jesus thinks when he looks at people who claim to be pastors, who fleece the flock, deny the word, and deny Christ? But all we can do is be like Samuel. Heed their voice. Let them go. Do their thing. Every man to his city. Chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechoroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. 
There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulder upward, he was taller than any of the people. Oh, you know, the Bible says that God catches the lies in their own craftiness. You want a good-looking king? God's like, you want a king? I'm going to give you the best-looking king you ever saw. This man, he, he's tall and handsome, ladies. Even though the guy's like, man, who is like Saul? He comes from a rich, powerful family. Does that sound like politics in America? He comes from a rich, powerful family, and he's super good looking. He's not just super good looking. The Holy Spirit tells us he's the most handsome man in Israel. He's like, he's like a God. He just, when he speaks the oratory skills that he has are just, he, he looks like a king. We can follow this man. What I find interesting is God said in Genesis that the scepter will not depart from Judah. God's king comes from the tribe of Judah. So is there anyone that kind of scratched their head when they found out that Saul comes from the tribe of Benjamin? Yet who chose this king? God did. Be careful what you ask for. The people of faith get the king from the tribe of Judah. The people who want a worldly king, yeah, they're going to get a king from Europe called the Antichrist. They're going to get their king. And they're going to be so impressed by the time he comes to power, how he ruled over the other kings and took power from them. And wow, they're going to say, ooh and ah. But he's like a king from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, some people think he's actually from the tribe of Daniel, the Antichrist. But that's for another Bible study. Isn't it interesting when the people clamored and demanded something contrary to what God's plan was, God gave them a king, but he's not the king from the tribe of Judah. Our king comes from Judah. God said a thousand years before this, your king comes from Judah, and yet he gives them a king from Benjamin. You know, he gave one generation exactly what they asked for, a worldly, good-looking psychopath king because to some degree he would fit the bill of being a psychopath which is a clinical thing or a sociopath which is environmental it's learned certainly narcissistic the king threw the spear at his most faithful right hand man and acted like he didn't do anything the king who had more than 70 priests of the Lord murdered in cold blood by dog the Edomite who are totally innocent. That's not what healthy people of the mind do. This is that king. It gives us his credentials. Body of Christ, God in his word, tells us a lot about the first king of Israel. One, they demanded him when God said, you don't want him. He told them he'd take everything. They still wanted their king. No, but, no, but, we still want this. I know I should trust in the Lord. I know I should go to church. I know I should be walking with the Lord. I know I should get out of this relationship. I know I should let this go. No, but, we're going to go after the king from Benjamin. Well, good luck with that, body of Christ, in 2022. Our king comes from Judah. And isn't it wonderful when our king came? He came as a suffering servant in humility, right on a donkey's colt at his coronation. Just so when he comes a second time, he come on a white horse in total triumph, in full glory, for the entire world to see him come. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Are they?
the, the kings of the earth love to have their credentials. These are Saul's credentials. He's from Benjamin. I mean, there had to be somebody in Israel that said, maybe Samuel, when he's laying in bed at night and he's thinking things over, he had to think like, how is it? Well, how is it that our first king comes from Benjamin when one of the clearest prophecies concerning our future Messiah, that those who reign in Israel will reign from the tribe of Judah? Well, none of the judges came from Judah. And after all, Samuel's from Benjamin. Our senator became our president. Maybe, who knows? All I know is, with the word of God, interpreting the word of God, someone should have said, how is it our king going to be from the tribe of Benjamin when the king is supposed to come from Judah? This can't be a good ending. No, it never is. When you choose, you demand from the Lord something carnal, something of the flesh, something worldly, something not according to his will. It's never going to be a good ending. Verse 3. Now, there's a lengthy narrative here, so stay with me, because this is God just moving things in direction. Kind of like, where are we going on planet Earth? It's the same thing. Following, following our news right now is like following Saul's donkeys. Verse 3. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Sheshiah, but they did not find them. Uh, then they passed through the land of Shelem, and they were not there. And then he passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And when they come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he's an honorable man, and all that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the, 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 the way that we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go... What shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is gone, and there's no, no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to, to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come but to see the seer, for he who is now called the prophet was formerly called a seer. Parenthetical thought. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up the hill to the city, and they, they met some young women going out to draw water, and they said uh, to them, is, is the seer here? And they answered them said, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Now hurry now, for today he came to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. And so they went up to the city. And as they were coming to the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them in his way up to the high place. So the Lord had said, told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander of my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. So God identifies that future king to Samuel right there. Verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go, and I will tell you 
all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and his, his servant and brought them into the hall, and he had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. They broke bread. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawn of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. So this chapter, as I mentioned, has a fair bit of narrative. The people want the earthly king. Saul has the appearance that fits the bill of that earthly king. God has prepared Samuel to identify and be prepared to identify that king. Then that king comes and God confirms this is that king. I mean, this is, this is the first king of Israel. Like, really, this is amazing if you really think about it. This is the first king of Israel after 400 years in the promised land. This is a big deal. The details of this event, this story, it's a big deal. It's here for a reason. Saul, we don't know what Saul really thought about himself. We only know that he comes from a privileged family, and he's the best-looking man in all of Israel. Now, most men I know that are good-looking, they know they're good-looking. And they act like they're good-looking. It's hard to find a really good-looking man that doesn't act like he's a good-looking man and knows it. But maybe Saul was that guy. But I'm thinking if you're the tallest, most handsome man in Israel, you kind of know it. At any rate, Samuel pulls him aside, and he made this phrase that's very interesting, said this phrase in verse 20. On whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? All these people and their hope and confidence in a man, a human being, to solve all their problems, to lead them, to be just like all the other nations. But they were not meant to be like all the other nations. And I must say, even for the United States of America, when we act like all the other nations... We're not better than the world. We're definitely distinct, though. And we've, we've defied the, the laws of the majority are right. Because, you know, democracy is the majority of the people, essentially, the will of the people. And that we even got this far, as long as we did, the way we did is pretty amazing. But the U.S. Constitution does not allow for the American people to act like the people in Europe. We have different values, different convictions, a different history, and a different heritage. All the people of Europe came here 500 years ago for freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there's a reason they left Europe. And there's a reason for the last 200 years, all their descendants left Europe, too, to come here. 
And then they came from the Middle East, and they came from Latin America, and all these places. The biblical foundation of the Constitution is our strength. And unfortunately for the United States of America, as we have removed God from that, these freedoms are so attacked right now. It's insane. We just become like other nations. We become like the CCP in China. We become like the former Soviet Union in Russia. We become like India. We become like Cuba. We become like these nations where people are afraid to have dissident of conversation because they'll be demonized or canceled. And it's very hard to watch the total reset of planet Earth and the trampling down and the destruction of things that made our country great. But that's not the purpose of a Bible study, is it? But it is the reality of what we face and all know what's going on outside these doors so we can at least address that reality. So we have to go back to we're not meant to be like other people. And unfortunately now our majority is poisoned. And like so many other nations before us that no longer exist or even still do, you rewrite history and good becomes evil and evil becomes good. Not that there wasn't evil, but evil is evil and good is good. Don't confuse the two and no one's perfect. But alas, the time has come and who can bear where it's going. So again, as all these people rejected God reigning over them and their expectations and their desire was for a man of the world and worldly power, not even from the tribe of Judah, that's what they're going to get. So again, I'm just reminded as we think about earthly kings versus our heavenly king, Our desire and our expectation needs to be fully in the Lord. If our, we want to respect people, we want to love people, we want to hope for the best in other people. Our bosses, our extended family, our nieces and nephews, our cousins, all the different things that we, all the different people, we want to to think the best, we want to hope for the best, we really do. But our expectations and our ultimate desire has to be in the Lord. It's like Leah who tried to please her husband, kept thinking her husband's going to love her if she just gives him another kid, another kid, another kid, and finally she has, you know, the ones and just goes like, now I will praise the Lord. I learned a long time ago, I just got to praise the Lord, and Jacob's going to be Jacob. I have to find my praise in the Lord, not in a man. That's the lesson of Leah in the book of Genesis. So again, a closing thought for all of us. May we find our joy in the Lord. May our expectations be in the beauty of the simple things, the little things, the good things, the beautiful things that God shows us daily to his daughters and sons of faith. Because the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the face of the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So as we make our hearts loyal to the Lord, as we seek the Lord, as we seek, knock, and ask, he opens, he gives, and he confirms. The sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, he's not aware of it. And he closes the lilies of the field. In his glory. He's got us totally. You know, you can see he's got the whole world in his hands, but he particularly has the church in his hands. 
So I want to leave us with just this encouraging word and this encouraging exhortation. Do not let the kings of the world move you or unsettle you. They're going to do what they're going to do, and I've got a feeling they're going to do some very evil things very soon. Do not let them unsettle you. May your faith, my faith, our faith, and our expectations always be in Jesus Christ and the blessed hope of his coming. Maranatha. 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 Amen.